Welcome to the Blue Ribbon Podcast. My name is Michael Zarathus Cook. I'm starting this interview series as an extension of the Blue Ribbon blog, which is a blog that I started four years ago as a music journal and has since grown to include various interactions in the performing arts and literary scene in Toronto and doing so by way of reviews, journals, and the occasional interview. Uh, obviously, the podcasting format is the best uh, for interviews, so I'm very happy to include this offering to the Blue Ribbon uh, experience. I'm also happy to launch it with uh, a, an organization that is near and dear to me, and that is the Fall for Dance North Festival which is a yearly dance festival in Toronto that features dancers and dance ensembles from all over the world. Last year, I had the pleasure of interviewing their artistic director, Ilter Ibrahimov, ahead of a very exciting 2019 festival. Obviously, this uh, pandemic uh, has disrupted their initial plans for this year's festival, but the team rallied around uh, a new sense of urgency and innovative uh, improvisation to deliver a, a festival experience that promises to connect with audiences, uh, obviously doing so at a safe distance. It's a pleasure to welcome Ilter back for another interview, this time in a podcast. We talk about what those first couple of months of the pandemic felt like for him and his team. We go through a selection of programs that caught my eye from this year's catalog. And we also talk about a social issue that's dominated 2020 headlines, that obviously being the Black Lives Matter movement and how it pertains to the performing arts and the dance world in particular. On each topic, Ilter had some very interesting things to say about being an art administrator in a very disruptive year in the arts. A bit about the festival. It launches on September 29th and runs till October 18th. Purchasing a $15 ticket gives you access to the signature program, which also launches on the 29th of September and is a 80-minute live stream dance event with six Canadian premieres. Please check out the festival at ffdnorth.com and I urge you to donate $15 towards the free programming which uh, again comes with certain exclusive perks. Thanks again for tuning into the podcast. Please share and subscribe and help us grow this audience. Enjoy. Welcome again, folks, to the Blue Ribbon Podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to have Ilter Ibrahimov, Artistic Director of the Fall for Dance North Festival. Uh, Ilter, how are you doing today? I'm good, Michael. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I want to start by, first of all, congratulating you on this year's festival that uh, launches on September 29th. I'm sure it's been a long journey since March when the lockdowns began. And here you are within a stone's throw from the finish line. You know, it's only the finish line in, in the loosest sense of the word. You'll be thinking of uh, the next season uh, as soon as this one's done. But before we get there, how does it feel uh, to, to make it through at least most of 2020 and have a festival uh, at this point? What a year it has been, right? For yeah. all of us, oh, yeah. <laughs> for the world. Um, it feels really strange. It feels really surreal, I must say. I was uh, talking to a friend this morning and I was saying, 
you know, normally at this time, just a few days before the festival, I start picking my outfits for the theater. <laughs> right. Like, what am I going to wear on the opening night? What am I going to say to the audience? Yeah. But it's going to feel really strange on Tuesday when we open. All I need to do is really just sort of sit in front of my computer and make sure the website works. <laughs> yeah. At least you can save uh, money on uh, outfits. Uh, the yes. Outfit budget. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, it feels uh, really good, as you said, like since March, uh, which is not that that long ago, mm-hmm. but it really does feel like 10 million years ago, right? Yeah. Because um, so much happened since March. Mm-hmm. And we as an organization had to pivot very quickly and uh, dramatically to, um, to producing a digital festival, mostly digital, let's say, festival. And so like within that um, five, six months, we had to move so quickly. We had to learn so much. We had no time to practice what we learn. We just had to dive in and do. And we had to create an entirely new festival experience, mm. something we've never done before. So um, it's been difficult emotionally, logistically, sometimes, you know, budgetarily and all of that. But I'm incredibly happy and proud of what we created and so, so grateful to my amazing team and the amazing artists that helped us um, Mm. uh, design all these activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to leave the topic of, of March alone just yet. And just before we get into the programming uh, for this year, perhaps you could talk a bit more about the first couple of months when you slowly began to realize that this year's festival was going to be different or perhaps not even happen at all. I think just because of um, you know the, the pace of this year, you know, we need to take a, a, a breather once in a while to look back at, you know, what we all went through personally and obviously professionally. So from the position of the artistic director of FFDN, take us through some of the ups and downs in charting the course during the pandemic. Well, back in March, when the pandemic sort of first um, caused a major lockdown, we were a little bit naive. You know, we thought, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're October. We're lucky. We're going to yeah. be fine. Um, but you know, after a few weeks, uh, we started to realize that is not the case. Um, this thing is not going away, um, so quickly and so easily. Um, and I started to watch my colleagues, um, artistic director of dance companies, artistic directors of other festivals, sort of starting to one by one cancel entire seasons and productions, um, things that they have been investing in, you know, for years. And yeah, the reality hit. And then uh, it became very clear that we're just not going to be able to have the kind of festival we've been doing the past five years. So, you know, the decision was whether we make a, um, a change really quickly and we do it well, or we take our time and eventually probably cancel the festival altogether and take a year off. As you know, so many arts organizations started to throw material at the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) A little bit, um, uh, you know, in a chaotic sort of way. Yeah. 
And uh, a lot of it was just not so inspiring to me. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I think that everybody did their best. I mean, a lot of people just brought archival videos, archival audio, you know, back from the vault and just started to throw that out. A lot of people arranged Zoom chats and talks, um, online workshops and things mm -hmm. like that. But it's just, I just didn't want to have a festival of archival footage and Zoom chats. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's a little boring. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I spoke with my team and I put a couple of ideas forward, sort of testing the waters a little bit because those ideas were just not going to be so easy uh, to produce. Um, basically, overnight, we had to, uh, become a media company because if you are going to produce something for the digital environment, I mean, it's, you know, producing video, audio, it's like interactive experiences and, and then knowing how to distribute that, knowing how to deliver that like in uh, really well, it's just, it's complicated stuff and we've never done it before. But yeah, we were um, we were really inspired. We were really uh, excited about the ideas, so we decided to go for it. Yeah, and again, uh, congratulations on on pulling it off. You're right about a lot of companies having to suddenly become uh, production companies as well in terms of uh, online content. Some people did it well, and as you sort of um, alluded to earlier, uh, some people threw things at the internet some of which the internet threw back in terms of not having, not being able to establish an audience or interest in, in their online content. The tagline to your programming this year seems to be, why do something ordinary in extraordinary times? You're also calling this sixth uh, edition the flip side. Aside from the pandemic uh, circumstances surrounding the festival, what is the theme running through all 12 programs uh, this year? I would say originality and experimentation. Um, as you know, dance is such a visual art form and it's best experienced live. It is an art form that is hard to, uh, I think, resonate uh, digitally. And it's so, again, like visual, it's so aesthetic based that we were at the beginning, we were sort of um, by default, all the ideas we were thinking about was kind of video based because how do you capture the essence of dance without showing dance? But what we decided then that kind of goes back to the season name that you mentioned, the flip side. What we decided to do is take a more personal look at the art form and especially the people behind that art form and stories behind those people. So, you know, we started a podcast series like you're doing. We started uh, to record a poetry and music album. We decided to do something really conceptual and give a voice to all the objects that we are not using this year at the festival, such as the festival badges or the Sharpie backstage that artists use to sign the festival posters. How are they feeling about the pandemic? <laughs> um, so, you know, we just try to experiment. We just try to experiment. Um, how do we 
stay who we are as Fall for Dance North? What is our mission? What is our mandate? And how can we, in an authentic way, still fulfill that mandate by connecting our audience with the art form of dance, but in a completely different way? How can this, how can this work? I mean, that's kind of the theme. Brilliant, brilliant. And I think nothing's more revealing of 2020, at least in this context, that the theme is sort of a question. How can this, uh, how can this work? And I think obviously your audiences will have a, an opportunity to find out uh, on the 29th. That's when, uh, if I'm correct, when the festival launches. Even for a normal year, these programs uh, look quite impressive. Uh, and especially so in a year with so many uh, restrictions. Uh, so I'd like to talk a, a bit about a couple of these programs. Uh, the first one, and I'm sure the one that'll catch a lot of eyes as people are, are sifting through the brochure, is uh, Bathtub Brand, uh, which is described on the website as an interview series that takes place in a bathtub. First of all, how did the idea come about? Uh, who is Bran? And who is Bran talking to? And why is he in a bathtub? Why is he in a bathtub? There, again, it's perfect for 2020. I love it already. <laughs> um, so Bran is Brandon, Brandon Ramsey. He's a Toronto-based dancer, director, choreographer, personality, um, interviewer, um, all those things. He's, he's funny. He is authentic. He is talented, creative, just a, just a great guy. And I knew him because he did Bathtub Brand before. Uh, this is an existing series. He self-produced about three seasons of Bathtub Brand. All of that, by the way, is on YouTube. So if you look for Bathtub Brand, you'll see all the episodes that he did uh, sort of between 2012 and 15, I would say. And then he stopped. So when we were thinking about ideas... And I got to tell you, we actually were thinking about the podcast series that we started, as well as Bat That Brand, even before the pandemic. We wanted to start a bit of a digital stream of programming at Fall for Dance North. We even applied for this big grant from Tron Arts Council for this venture, which at the time we called FFD on Plus Plus, a little bit like Disney Plus or something. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't get the grant. But that's okay. Um, we we were really, you know, we had some of these ideas already sort of at the table, but they had to kind of stay in the back burner because we were um, planning and producing so many live shows. So that had to take priority. So in a pandemic year, um, in a way, we were a little bit lucky that we had some of these ideas in the back burner, right. which gave us a little bit of a start, you know, a little bit of a push. And Bata Bran was one of those. Uh, we wanted to approach Bran and um, ask if he would be open to us coming in as producers and reboot Bata Bran for a new season. Um, sort of like perhaps Netflix did with Queer Eye, you know, a few years mm-hmm. back. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of the idea. Um, so when we started to plan a digital season, we called Bran. We said, can we put you back in a bathtub? And, and match you up with some great artists and um, have these great conversations. Um, 
he was very, very happy. Um, he said yes immediately, but in a pandemic year, as you mentioned, with the restrictions, we couldn't put two people in a bathtub indoors um, and uh, a production crew in the same little bath bathroom, you know? Right. So we started to think uh, what we should do. And what we decided to do ultimately was to um, create a set for bathtub brand outdoors. So we bought a bathtub. Mm -hmm. We found a friend with a beautiful backyard. We bought a red carpet, put that red carpet on the ground first, put the bathtub on that. And then our designer, actually, uh, Eric Rochon, had this brilliant idea of building a plexiglass between right in the middle of the bathtub. So between Bran and the guest mm -hmm. for some extra safety and also relevancy. I mean, we're going to look back at this years from now and some people will be like, why is there a plexiglass in the middle of the bathtub? Yeah. Um, and because it's COVID year, you know? Yeah. Um, we also uh, printed a giant banner of inside of a, of a bathroom with like a shower head and put that in the background, um, sort of pretended like we were indoors, but you can easily, you know, you can clearly you can, see from the you, filming. <laughs> you can hear birds chirping, I imagine. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And all the artists were really um, open, comfortable. Uh, we interviewed six Toronto-based artists, all um, sort of diverse uh, dance uh, practitioners. And we are, um, that's one of the first programs that, are, that is coming out on the 29th. The first three episodes are dropping on the 29th. Brilliant. It's funny. I feel like every company has a sort of wish list of programs that they would really like to present. Um, but, you know, the perfect opportunity never seems to arise. Obviously, 2020, with all its quirks and hazards, has uh, provided the perfect storm so that almost every arts company can, you know, go back into their bag of tricks and, and pull out uh, something like bathtub brand. Another program that caught my eye was the Big Social Augmented uh, Reality Edition. Uh, by the way, I gotta I gotta say, great job naming these programs. They all sound like uh, episodes of of Black Mirror, which is very fitting for for the 2020 atmosphere, which is basically one long episode of Black Mirror. Um, but it sounds like with the Big Social virtual reality meets real reality meets dance. Is that an accurate uh, portrayal? Yeah, a Big Social is a program we've been doing actually for two years now at Union Station, one of our festival's venue partners um, since 2017. And the Big Social is really about um, social dances, all sorts of social dances, um, and bringing people together for uh, workshops and social hours and uh, also some amazing performances um, from uh, you know professional artists from those uh, from those uh, dance styles. So in the past, we've done beautiful tango evenings with a live band, um, some like really fun, fantastic swing evenings, also with a big band. Um, 
at our festival, I think you've been a few times, of course. Um, yes. Live music is extremely important to us whenever we can afford it, whenever we it's possible. We try to present dance with live music. It makes such a big difference. Um, so all the social dances that we have presented, including, for example, Hotnashani, um, indigenous social uh, circle dancing, we did with live music, um, singing, chanting, small bands, big bands, um, ensembles. Um, so we wanted to do big social again. Uh, one of the things you know that became a household term this year is social distancing. And I thought if we can find a way to represent social dancing and the big social, it's going to remind us like one day we will be on the other side of this thing and again we will be able to get together and dance like cheek to cheek and hip to hip and um that's a beautiful thing and we need to remember that so um obviously we couldn't do it in person uh, i feel like social dances are probably what some of the last things that we, that will come back right um, but um, we thought about doing it digitally and we thought about doing it uh, in an augmented reality, using augmented reality technology. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we called um, a tango couple that we know that live together and dance together as well as a swing couple and then a, a two dancers from Vogue style that don't live together, don't dance together, but in Vogue, you know, you don't have to touch each other. Uh, you can be physically distant. So we put them in a studio at Harborfront Center with a um, green screen and filmed their dancing. And then we worked with a videographer and a sound designer to basically stitch together a six and a half minute video with the three styles. And then we worked with an augmented reality designer to um, uh, come up with a system where with your mobile device, uh, a phone or a tablet that's uh, connected to the internet, you can point that at a, a beautifully designed sort of target image. And then the system recognizes that target image and uh, triggers the film in sort of this uh, 3D augmented reality technology way mm -hmm. i don't even know the terminology as you can tell yeah and <laughs> and then basically dancers come alive out of nowhere it's it's amazing it's beautiful um yeah. and we're presenting it uh, with a partnership with harborfront center um and uh, after looking at the harborfront center campus what we decided to do was to put that target image in the middle of natural pond uh right by the lake Mm -hmm. uh, it's 12 feet by eight feet. Um, and it's really eye catching. Like you can't miss it when you go down. Um, and then there are these, um, sort of, uh, targets on the, on the floor, sort of these decals, uh, that you can stand on and, uh, trigger these films. And, uh, the dancers, um, actually look like they're dancing on water. Wow. Again, really, uh, impressive stuff that you've put together for, for this year. And, and as I said earlier, that really does sound like something you'd see on, on Black Mirror, but like a dance-based, uh, good version of Black Mirror. Hmm. Um, I'm going to have to get into Black Mirror now. I haven't seen it. Well, all you have to do, uh, Elter, is just go outside. We are certainly 
uh, <laughs> living it, living it an episode of it. Um, <laughs> I, another program, and I think this one's probably my favorite, although uh, there are there's good competition. Another program that I saw on the website that you're putting together for this year is the Inverse uh, program. You know, if someone told you in, in September 2019 that FFDN would be recording an album with a cellist within the next year, what would your reaction be? I would say that's not what we do. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it is what we do. <laughs> it is what, exactly. Um, what can we expect to find on this album and where can we find this album? Mm-hmm. So, it is an album, as you said, we're um, recording with a cellist um, named Arlen Halasco. Uh, she's a Canadian cellist. She studied in the U.S. and normally lives in the U.S., but lucky us, she's been spending a lot of time um, in Ontario with her family. And so we were, we were able to um, catch her when she wasn't uh, too busy with other projects, and she was really inspired by the idea. And this idea actually came about because I'm personally a big fan of the soundtrack from the 90s uh, of the Italian film Il Postino, The Postman. Oh. And you remember that? Have you seen uh, that? I saw it this year. Oh, you did? Yes. <laughs> Coincidentally. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great film. Yeah. And the soundtrack for the film is also amazing. If you can find it, I would highly recommend um, the soundtrack is in two parts. One part is the score for the film, and the other is 15 poems of Pablo Neruda read by big Hollywood names mm-hmm. um, of the 90s, let's say. I mean, some of them are still big, but um, Julia Roberts, Glenn Close, Ralph Fiennes, Wesley Snipes, and mm-hmm. people that Madonna. Were not in Madonna. The, <laughs> uh, these people were, uh, for those listening, were not in, uh, in the film. They, I, this is a project that came separately from the film, just, mm. to, just to clarify. Right, right. Yes, yes. Thank you for clarifying that. That yeah. is important. They're which not makes, in the film. Which makes it even more impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I guess the soundtrack producers approach these great names with great voices and talent, ask them to read these beautiful, beautiful poems. Um, so I've been listening to that for, for years. Um, and I thought... You know, what if we ask some of our favorite dance people do the same? Just read, lend their voices and read some beautiful poetry for us. And so we can get to know them in a very different way. Um, Not only just the intention in their voices and their sort of, you know, ability to tell us stories, uh, um, whether literal or abstract, but also, you know, very interesting to see what kind of uh, poems are they picking? Uh, what speaks to them? Um, so there's so much about this project that I feel I think sort of reveals something personal um, um, about the artists that are involved. Um, so we have 13 tracks on the album in verse. Um, 12, uh, actually 13 dance artists reading uh, poetry. Uh, There's uh, also Arlen, uh, who um, recorded a beautiful intro uh, track. And Inverse comes out, uh, the entire album drops on October 5th. Brilliant. Uh, A little twist, 
Um, you haven't mentioned, but we are also presenting a um, program called Signature Program. Oh, uh, that was my next question. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, very good. <laughs> I'll, I'll just jump in because um, it's our only ticketed event. Mm -hmm. And um, if you have a ticket for Signature Program, you can actually start listening to Inverse uh, early on October 3rd. Brilliant. I'll also uh, include a link with this podcast episode to the Signature Program. Uh, for folks who want to get uh, an opportunity, obviously, to see the signature program, but also to listen to Inverse. And if you're trying to find that online, it's bracket IN, close bracket, Verse. Um, perhaps you could actually tell us a bit more about the 2020 signature program. Yeah. So one of the things that I really wanted to do with this with this year's program is to still be able to produce a live show in a theater even if it meant that it is produced basically for a camera crew <laughs> and we live stream it, mm -hmm. I still wanted to be inside a theater and be with performers. Um, of course, it just wasn't clear if we were going to be able to do that uh, with the pandemic, you know, constantly sort of evolving and changing um, the restrictions and, you know, public health and safety recommendations and all of that. Um, we said, you know, our plans for signature program kept changing. Uh, the venues that we wanted to use kept changing. The artists we wanted to present kept changing. Um, the pieces we wanted to present, the pieces we wanted to commission kept changing. We weren't sure if it had to be, for example, a program of solos because people can't really dance with, um, you know, their, their dancer colleagues. Um, etc. So after a long journey of many, many uh, changes and versions, we were able to finally land in a place that I'm really happy with where uh, the signature program, which is happening on October 3rd as a live stream, however, who, whoever wants to get a ticket will be able to see uh, a replay um, as many times as they wish until the festival closes on October 18th. Um, the signature program will uh, feature six Canadian world premieres. Three of those uh, are being pre-recorded, uh, two from Calgary and one from Europe, um, with a choreographer who's based in Vancouver, just happened to be in Europe and creating and filming there for us. And then the other three are actually being performed live at Harborfront Center's uh, Fleck Dance Theatre. We had to work with Harborfront very closely to make sure that everybody's going to be safe um, and all the, all the restrictions are going to be followed. And uh, we were able to do that. Uh, I'm very, very grateful to them for working with us on that. So uh, I can't wait. I mean, I can't wait to be in a theater and putting on a show mm -hmm. um, with, uh, yes, a camera crew only, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're going to hopefully have hundreds of people watching from home right. and tuning in and uh, still, you know, be able to celebrate uh, Canadian dance and dance makers. Brilliant. Brilliant. You mentioned earlier that FFDN has started a podcast called Mambo. Uh, perhaps you could talk a bit about that as well as where the name came from. Well, the name is uh, 
as, as kind of a social dance, as you know. And uh, we love social dances. We love all dance styles. And um, with social dances, every now and then we borrow uh, one of one social dance name and give it to sort of a project um, at the festival. Um, the first one that we used was Foxtrot. Um, our newsletters uh, are called Foxtrot, uh, which is a really fun name and um, and a really fun uh, dance style, which, um, you know, in the uh, early 1900s actually came out of the African-American uh, communities, um, primarily in the U.S. Um, and we mention uh, that history of, of, the, of Foxtrot, uh, as well as uh, directing people to places where they can get more information uh, at the end of at the end of every uh, newsletter, we're doing the same thing with Mambo. Um, I love the name. It's um, you know we were thinking about a podcast for a long time. Uh, I didn't want to produce a podcast of uh, interviews uh, at this moment because there are many dance related podcasts out there that focus on on interviews. I wanted to do something slightly different. Um, something a little more journalistic, sort of storytelling on location um, sort of uh, series. And, uh, you know, mambo, a little bit mambo jumbo of the dance world, let's say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, a bit of a, a dance uh, grab bag of stories and, uh, and ideas. I never done radio, really. So I asked a friend who it has a weekly a dance radio show here in Toronto. Her name is Nicole Hamilton. Um, and the show is called Turnout Radio. I've been a guest uh, and a co-host on her show a few times. So I knew she would be the perfect co-host. Um, mm -hmm. So Nicole and I uh, co-host Mambo. Uh, we have six episodes coming out. Um, and all six are completely different from one another. We're sort of experimented with different styles of episodes. Brilliant. And where can uh, we find it once the episodes start? Well, all of the programs are going to be available on our new website, um, ffdnorth.com. Um, particularly the podcast also is available on platforms like Apple Podcast. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Amazing. Sort of pivoting to a different topic, um, still staying obviously within the dance world. Uh, aside from the pandemic, uh, obviously 2020 has also been a year of reckoning for issues related to racial uh, equality. Uh, so in the context of, of this conversation, we've also seen that you know, the performing arts community in North America and certainly uh, the dance world uh, has a ways to go when it comes to both encouraging diversity, uh, or at least the optics of, of diversity, and also fostering a genuinely inclusive culture behind closed doors. What do you think some organizations in the performing arts, dance and, and, uh, and other forms, get wrong about this issue? We'll, we'll get to you know what uh, right looks like, but from your perspective, as someone who's who's been in it for a while, what do you think? Uh, again, some organizations get wrong on inclusivity, diversity, and equity. Um, 
I never received this information before sort of the this year's particular reckoning when it comes to racial um, equity. You know, a few people asked if I consider myself to be a person of color mm -hmm. because simply I was born in Turkey and I was raised in Turkey and I'm an immigrant in this country. Mm -hmm. And I first moved to the States and lived there for 10 years. And then I'm now lucky to be in Canada for 12 years. Um, and ultimately, you know, I did feel for a long time like an outsider. And many moments of my life, I still do. Mm -hmm. um, I work with my second language. Um, and there are certain perceptions of who I am and where I come from or how I grew up that people make that is, you know, completely not true, uh, but some completely true. Um, and I think because of my education and because of the, of my skin color, um, I did have a very white adjacent life in North America. Um, I realized that I completely own that. And, um, I'm trying, that's like, the, that's the, self-reflection, those are the questions that I'm asking myself. So there's so much that um, I personally can do. There's so much more I personally can do and learn, uh, as well as I think our organization. Um, but in terms of your particular question, like what maybe other dance companies or organizations might be getting wrong, and that might include Fall for Dance North, is that... At the peak of conversation a few weeks or months ago, all organizations or organization leaders started to put statements out, statements of solidarity, um, and some followed, followed up on that with um, maybe other statements or some, I think a, a small amount, maybe with some meaningful actions. Um, and I think what maybe we're not getting is that people will hold us accountable uh, for a very long time. This is not like a short-term uh, conversation. This is a very much long-term conversation. Mm -hmm. um, all those statements that we put out uh, is a, maybe a great start, mm -hmm. but it is only a start. Uh, we have to. We have to do meaningful um, authentic work mm -hmm. to continue that conversation, continue to ask questions, continue to improve, mm -hmm. uh, continue to reflect, and continue to communicate that with our audience so that they know uh, how we're following up on that commitment, on those statements. Um, I don't want, for example, for our organization people a year from now look back at our website or, you know, Facebook stream or, you know, all our public uh, platforms and say, oh, you know, there's this statement from one year ago, but there's nothing else. Mm. I think that's, I mean, that's ridiculous that it shouldn't be happening that way. So I think that's, I think how much people, mm -hmm. especially I think a younger generation, a new generation specifically, I think a diverse multicultural new generation is going to hold us accountable. And I think we need to, like, we need to seriously realize that. Amazing. I personally am really happy 
by that answer, because what I feel a lot of people in power when it comes to arts organizations fail to do is come at it from the personal perspective. Obviously, a lot of them do not have, you know, the personal experience of being people uh, of color. But nevertheless, you can sympathize about areas in your life where, as you say, you felt othered or felt on the outside looking in. So we're certainly, you know, there's, there's a lot to talk about here. I think progress begins when everyone looks at it from a personal perspective and stops treating it as a theoretical issue that you can tweet a solution at, and hopefully it goes away. What I'd like to uh, sort of wrap up with is the bigger picture of what comes next. I know your, your, your focus right now is primarily on this year and obviously on the season that's about to launch. But looking at the next year, edition uh, seven of FFDN, what are some of the innovative elements from this year? You know, for example, the fact that in a matter of six months, you put out an album, you had to become a media company as well. What are some of the innovative elements from this year that you'd like to replicate in the programming for next year and perhaps in your regular programming going forward? Yeah, for the future, there are so many questions, not many answers. <laughs> um, we'll have to see how this year goes and how our audience uh, receives what we have produced this year. Um, it feels... You know, we are proud of it. We're very happy with it. It feels authentic. It feels like this is exactly what we should be doing at the moment. Um, but it's this moment. Um, I predict that in the future, we will be presenting a hybrid of live, uh, which will, of course, come back one day, and we can't wait for that. And live performance is what we do at the core of our presenting. And uh, that's what we will continue to do always. But I think um, that we're just as performing arts organizations, I think we're just realizing the potential and power of digital production and delivery and what it can mean for our organizations. Uh, just this morning, I was chatting with our general manager who was saying, oh, somebody from Brazil just bought tickets for our signature program and somebody from Mexico just bought tickets for our signature program. I mean, that never happened for us because all our shows were in Toronto. So you had to be in Toronto. Right. Um, so this, like, I think this sense of um, being able to talk to a much broader community that is national and international is being sort of unleashed with this experimentation. And if it's successful, I mean, I don't want to go back 100%. I think in this new normal that's going to be emerging soon, um, I believe we're going to be sort of a hybrid, you know, live arts and digital. Brilliant. Ilter Ibrahimov, thanks for your time today. Congrats again on the sixth edition of uh, Fall for Dance North Festival. And, and good luck with the launch of the festival. Well, thank you for having me, Michael. And good luck with this amazing new podcast. Congratulations to you.